Welcome to the Butts and Seeds Podcast, episode number 30. We did it! Slamboree 1999. We made it to 30! Nick, I think you know what that means. Yeah, we, I had to whip up uh, a little batch of shots before we started. If you're new to the show, every 10 episodes, Nick and I will do a shot in commemoration of the pain we've endured over the last 10 sittings of watching WCW Wrestling. Yeah, so, so today, what's our shot, Nick? Um, I, I couldn't decide what to do, and then I remembered The Boys Season 3 is just wrapped filming, so uh, Mother's Milk. Oh, is that why you made it? Yeah. Gross. Cheers. Cheers. To 30 more. <coughs> oh, I don't like that. I like it less than I thought I would. Do you take a break? <laughs> oh, that was really bad. It's so much better when it's dropped in a Guinness. Yeah. What the fuck, man? Ew. <laughs> terrible much like this pay-per-view so i think this might end up being the second to last episode of ours before we hit the one year mark of doing the show damn has it really been already a year i know and, and we have already exceeded the timeline of one every other week even though it feels like i've been staggering them more than that <laughs> yeah that does kind of work there's been a couple times me just going here's two episodes in one day because editing We've got real lives, and sometimes it's hard to keep to a schedule, so we're doing our best here. But damn. I guess, yeah, we did start around Halloween last year, and it's end of September. Yeah, our, our first episode came out on Halloween. But uh, yeah, and this is also recording this one day before I start a new job, so Yay! we'll see what happens to the schedule with that. Editing things might change, because I might take over some of it to alleviate, because my job doesn't seem as demanding as yours, so well, we'll, we'll see. see. But as previously mentioned, today we are talking about WCW Slamboree 1999. And I accidentally scrolled too far on the network and saw who was in the main event of Slamboree 2000. And it's like, Jesus Christ, we are one year away from David Arquette. Let's not talk about that until we have to talk about it. But with this pay-per-view, it's like you could have... If you just turned the TV on or if you just walked in, you would have no idea that we were watching Slamboree. Nothing about it felt like a pay-per-view. It didn't feel extra special. It, they weren't like, what a slamboree. Like, welcome to slamboree. Every time. Like, they never said it, really. Yeah, there were a lot of segments that started and, and or ended, like an episode of Nitro. Exactly. Yeah, it didn't feel different or special. Like, say what you will about WWE TV in the 90s or whatever. They knew how to differentiate their television from their pay-per-views. This did not feel different enough. Well, the show at least opens with a video package kind of running through the various feuds. There's still no good music under these, though. No. But it was nice to actually have the rundown of the matches that are coming up with the night. And they went through a good handful of them. They didn't go through the story of Rick Steiner and Booker T. But Rick Steiner and Booker T did have their own video package later. And I was like, okay. So we go from the opening video package to the opening pyro. Tonight we have Tony Schiavone, Bobby Heenan, and Mike Tanay on commentary. It's been a minute since we've seen all three of them together. They talk through the matches, and then they throw to Mean Gene. He plugs the hotline. What did you think of Mean Gene's white suit? Looking like Indiana Jones at the start of Temple of Doom. Was he wearing a white suit in Temple of Doom? In the beginning of it. Oh. I skipped Temple of Doom a lot because I was traumatized by the heart scene as a kid. It's not as good, and... It hasn't aged well through a, like, social commentary lens. Oh, really? Yeah, it's not great with that. I don't remember much about it. I just remember the ripping out the heart and watching it beat in someone's hand. Yeah. Traumatized me. But anyway. Yeah, I thought it was very snazzy. I liked his white suit. But he was getting... Was he getting booed? It might just be that, hey, why do we have to sit here and listen to you plug a hotline? Can we just start the show? Maybe. 
<laughs> I did like his line when he was plugging the hotline. It was like, kids, ask your parents, but do call. It was like, ask them, but even if they say no, fuck them, call anyway. <laughs> oh, I missed some of our usual stuff because we are in St. Louis, Missouri tonight at whatever arena they have there. I don't know who. I played. think it's B. It starts with a B. I don't remember because all the security said B and D security. Yeah, that might just be might just security, be security yeah. And the arenas change names so often that it's hard to keep track of. Fair. But they were here six months ago and drew 30,000 fans. Okay. How, how do you think they did this time? The 30,000 fans, was that like a full crowd? or I would assume so. I mean, you ba- basketball stadiums like that usually hold kind of like a max of 30 or so. Okay. Uh, tw- 20. 13. Jesus. Yeah. Yikes. I mean, would you, if you were watching the television, would you want to go to this show? It's hard to say. I mean, like, we're watching it from a different lens. Like, everyone loves Kevin Nash in the 90s, and I want to I, I want to turn the TV off every time he comes on. So I'm not the audience. <laughs> All right. And it's time for Emily to guess the buy rate again. Oh, geez. Okay. All right. So last year, Slamboree did 275,000 buys. This year... The previous pay-per-view, Spring Stampede, did two fifty-five. What did Slamboree nineteen ninety-nine do? I'm gonna say Slamboree did one fifty. Okay, not quite that low. One ninety-five. Okay, okay. We don't hit one fifty until this fall. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna go for a while. Oh no, 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 just a couple months. No, ago. just like a couple months. Still bad though. Yeah, not Still good. Not great, Bob. Actually, with the 195 number, I just realized that AEW's All Out this year like beat this number. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that was a really good pay-per-view, so. Well, you don't know that it's going to be really good until you've watched it. That's true. It had a lot of hype behind it. That is true. It had a lot of hype behind it. What was the hype behind Slamboree? Like, was CM Punk going to come back on Slamboree? It'd be very weird if he showed up. So we got our first match of the night. And I was devastated that this was the first match because yeah. I literally said to you earlier in the day, I'm like, I hope this match isn't first because I need something to look forward to during this card. Yeah. And then they went, our first match of the night for the WCW Tag Team Titles. And I'm like, God damn it. We were both like, no. <laughs> it is Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko with Arn Anderson versus Raven and Perry Saturn versus Rey Mysterio and Kidman. It is a triangle tag match in which... The rules get a little weird. Three men are in the ring, or or rather, maybe not in the ring, but are legal at all times. Mm-hmm. And other three partners are sitting in the corners. They will sometimes enforce this rule. They will sometimes not enforce these rules. Immediately when this match starts, there are four people in the ring. Immediately. So no, they're not going to enforce these rules. Well, no, sometimes they did. That was the weird thing. They just let it go for a lot of it. Other times, like, okay, come on, get in the corner. Ray comes out rocking his overalls. I don't like the overall. No, it's just look. a bad look. Overalls are coming back in fashion in 2021 too. Just like there are girls in my office that have come in wearing overalls, and I'm just like, why? Match starts. Saturn hits a belly to belly on Kidman over the ropes onto the floor, and Kidman like doesn't rotate at all. He just kind of goes straight over the ropes and then like lands on his face. Yeah, it didn't look comfy. That's entirely on Kidman. He didn't turn. He yeah, went, no, no, no. I'll take this as like a front bump. Ugh, yeah, that looked like it hurt. I said Saturn yeets Kidman out of the ring. <laughs> we get a nice drop kick into a German suplex combo from the horseman. Benoit chops Kidman and then snot rockets him. Ugh, I, I forgot that he did the snot rocket. I forgot that was part of his thing until he did it. I'm like, oh, 
gross. Benoit locks in the crossface, but Raven breaks it up. And this is the start of commentary just being like, see, you know, you got to really make sure that no one's around. Because they just talk about how pins can get broken up for like this entire match. Yeah. And they don't move on from it. Like I said, it's been a while since we've had all three of these guys on commentary. And I have not missed the banter. It's It gets it's annoying. It's not proper banter. It is not proper banter. It is just annoying banter. Saturn then hits a frog splash, but Dean breaks it up. Dean vaults Ray onto the top rope, who then hits a moonsault press back onto Dean. I'm like, oh, that was a nice little spot. Is this when he gets vaulted up and, like, keeps his balance on the yeah. top? That was so impressive. Like, talk about core strength. That was so cool. I love that. Is that core strength? I think like it's just balance. Balance is... A, most balance is core strength. Yeah, I feel, I feel like she's wrong, but I don't know if that core strength is disputed. <laughs> oh, I'm right. I've taken a lot of yoga classes. Saturn hits a running vault to the outside onto three men, kinda. Sorta, kinda? He just kinda, like, tumbles over the ropes. Into a pile of men. <laughs> he almost... He, he probably caught more of the apron than he did the yeah. other guys. It looked messy. I think he, like, hit Dean, and the other two were like, oh shit, we have to sell it. Inside the ring, we get a diving headbutt from Benoit, but Saturn breaks up the pin. This is where the ref stops giving a mm-hmm. shit about the other partners being in the ring. Because Benoit is just working over Perry Saturn, and Dean Malenko is in the ring just body-checking people off... Off the apron, off the yeah. Apron, which is a cool tag spot. I have to admit oh, that. Oh, yeah. It works very but well. the refs just look at him like, okay, this is fine. Keep doing what you're doing. Which... You know, annoys me, but okay, we're just letting it go. But then Dean gets on the apron and is like, okay, tag me in. It's like, what the fuck? What's the point? Yeah, at various points, the ref will yell at like Rey Mysterio, like, oh no, you need to be on the apron. Oh yeah, God forbid Billy Hidman and Rey Mysterio be in the ring at the same time. Then the ref, there are rules, but if the horsemen are at the same time, it's fine. We get a spot of Saturn dropping Kidman crotch first on the top rope and then hits a springboard attack on him. Yeah, I well, don't know how to describe it. It was just like springboard. Ah. Yeah, he just kind of like jumped at him. Didn't really like yeah. do a move or anything. It's, it, it, he just vaulted his body into Billy Kidman. Yeah. Inside, Benoit hits triple German suplexes, but Kidman breaks up the pin. I still think the German suplex to like the bridge is so impressive. Kidman was doing as well, and Ray does it at one point where to break up the bridged pin, they like kick out yeah, Benoit's leg. Yeah, they sweep leg. the leg. I love that. But just a bridge in general with that move just makes it look a lot more intense. And I don't know. It, it makes it a lot more impressive to me. This is where the ref starts caring about the legal men again because he's trying to escort people out. And I was just <laughs> losing my mind on it. I had to back up because you were looking down for this moment. I lost my shit during this match because we get, we, we get a Bigfoot sighting. Dean Malenko hits a powerbomb on Billy Kidman. <laughs> And I, it's not a face buster. I, I was he, he started it and I'm like, oh, okay, I know where this is going. Oh my god! Oh my god, he actually hit it. <laughs> so it was wild. So Dean's hit one. Eddie has hit one. So we just need Benoit and Saturn to both hit one on Kidman, and then they can leave for WWF because they all join. You know, yeah. They all come in as the radicals. So that makes sense. It, it's kind of like how ghosts can't you know actually enjoy the afterlife while well, they still have business on this earth. <laughs> They have business to tend to. Unfinished business, that's what it is. Well, speaking of Eddie, Raven then hits fucking three amigos on Benoit. You know, the triple vertical suplexes. Oh, I didn't know it was called three amigos. Yeah, I actually don't know if it has the name with that yet. I know it will be called that in WWE, but... Dean then gets cocky and goes for another powerbomb, and we're like, okay, well, clearly this, this is the one. one. Yeah. Face 
But instead, Kidman, like, rolls through the powerbomb into, like, a sunset flip. And we're like, what the fuck's happening? What are you doing? You have one move. Where's your face buster? We then get a vaulted top rope Hurricane Rana from the champions, which they won their match against the Armstrongs with. Mm-hmm. But the pin gets broken up. They try it again on Saturn, but Saturn just catches Ray and, fuck you, top rope powerbomb. <laughs> yeah. Like, Jesus. Ray's so small and light. He just gets thrown around. Then Saturn goes, apparently Billy Kidman is weak today. I'm going to try for a powerbomb. Lol, no. <laughs> face buster. Finally. It wouldn't be right if there wasn't at least one face buster. We then get Kidman Faction on Raven, as we're now calling it, apparently. Thank you. Kidman Faction or Billy Faction? Kidman. Neither of them are good, so. Stratus Faction is good. Yes, but it's not true Stratus yet, is it? We'll go with Kidman Fashion. Faction. Faction. Kidman Faction. Kid Faction. No. No, I want this to be as cumbersome as possible. Kidman Faction is absolutely more cumbersome than anything else. Billy Kidman Faction. (laughs) We then get a spot, which was cool, but again, the ref has to be an idiot for this spot to happen. I don't know what he's supposed to be distracted by, but he's not. And Arn Anderson just gets in the ring and hits a spine buster on Saturn. Yeah, the ref is staring at Arn as he's coming in. We backed up and rewatched this. The ref has to literally turn his face past Arn, like pauses and sees him and goes, I shouldn't be looking at this, and then just turns away. Yeah. Oh my God, it was And it's not like it's Charles Robinson where it's like, okay, you know, it's meant to be screwy. No, No. this this ref fucking sucks. This is just a bad, there have been a lot of bad refs in this show. Yeah, I don't think he refs any other matches during this. Really? Oh, during this show, During the show. But like throughout this show, there are a lot of bad refs. Yeah. We then get Dean locking in the cloverleaf on Saturn, and he has it on Saturn for a while because Kidman is then setting up for the shooting star press on Raven, and then someone in a sting mask suddenly just shows up at ringside, like sneaking around, and you can tell he's sneaking around because he's, you know, crouching in like the sneak position. Yeah. Just like ever so slightly crouched. He clicked the left thumb stick. <laughs> he chose sneak. He crotches Kidman and then Raven hits a top rope DDT and and gets the pin while Saturn is just still in the cloverleaf. Except for the fact of the ref was distracted for this and like Raven has him pinned for a little while. Ref goes over and like checks on Perry Saturn and then it's like, oh, there's a pin. Oh, yeah. shit. One, two, three. Like, he's like placing his gaze between both Perry Saturn and the cloverleaf and the pin and he's just like, which one do I go to? I'm like, go to the fucking pin, man. Yeah, so... New champions, Mystery Man immediately reveals himself to be Canyon, kind of defeating the point of why wear the mask to begin with. If you're going to immediately unmask yourself, yeah. And like when he, after he interfered, he kind of like went back into the audience too, like he went over the safety barricade, but then immediately came back in. But also Canyon was on Thunder. It's like, why are you ruining your, like, if you, if you'd waited, it would have been interesting. Yeah. We're like, oh shit, Canyon's back. Like, no, Canyon's back on Thunder. Thoughts on the actual match, though? I really like this match. This could have been really messy with three tag teams. Like, it could have been really complicated and convoluted to follow. But somehow, and this is me saying this, somehow it wasn't. I kind of, I understood what was happening throughout it all. Yeah, it, I thought it was a bit messy at parts, but it wasn't complicated, if that makes sense. No, entirely. The ref ruined parts of this match. I honestly cannot think of another match where that's happened. Where the ref is actively, like, knocked, like, like a half or a full star off a match. Like, we've complained about, uh, uh, I think it was Randy Anderson or Nick Patrick having quick counts. Mm-hmm. But, like, that's one thing. It's, like, completely derailing a match is another thing. Yeah. No, I entirely agree. They just, they've got a ref issue in this company right now. And 
they don't really have any good refs. Like, even Nick Patrick later on in the show, he just, he seems very involved. I never thought I'd favor a ref. I like Mickey J. Which one's Mickey J? The slightly heavier set guy. Did he ref one of these matches? I, I don't remember. Exactly. You, when is it, when, when if you don't remember him, he's a yeah. great he's a great ref, yes. Yeah. So I agree with you. <laughs> Love him. Also, I just remember, technically we did complain about a ref hampering a match one other time. It was Booker T and somebody, I forget who, but the ref was constantly in the way where Booker had to be like, I'm uh, trying to set something up, yes. get out of the way. <laughs> the refs just don't have good intuition in WCW. They don't know where the moves are going to go. or like They also have... A lot of refs. I they do. I didn't realize this until I just worked with the recent Ring of Honor gig. They have two refs. Like, that's it. Really? Only two? Yeah. I would have thought they would have had at least, like, three or four. I'll put it this way. There were only two at the show because they had the whole roster come out for a salute to Daphne. Hmm. Who I just realized we never talked about in this podcast. And I kind of opted not to because we haven't seen her on this podcast yet. So we'll definitely have a chat about her when you know, once we kind of see her more, okay. I do think you're really gonna like Daffy's character, though. I don't think it'll shock the listeners to hear that we both thought this was match of the night. Yeah, <laughs> that's not a surprise. The question is, will it be your best bit? Mm. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll see. But yeah, it, in terms of like actual match quality, this was far and away the best. I'm kind of hoping for a rematch of this at some point, even like, like a Nitro rematch, but. Of all three tag teams? I don't think we're going to get it, though. I think Ray is moving on to somebody besides Kidman. That's a bummer, because I really do like the two of them working together. But I just fear that Kidman matching up with anybody else is not going to be nearly as good or charming to me. We get a DDP hype package, which both of us laughed because they clearly found a new stock overlay they like using. Because it's the same text, like, Wikipedia article overlay that they do for the Goldberg one. Mm Mm-hmm. But, it's just like the glamour shots of Yeah, CDP. this is the first of a bunch of just random yeah. hype packages for wrestlers. Yeah, I call them the glamour video packages. Yeah, basically. It's just nice shots of all these wrestlers and Kevin Nash being, you know, sexy, whatever. Yeah, but like... They're glamour shots. Exactly. Like, I don't learn anything about their characters. I don't think... No. This, most of them don't even have, like, any sort of voiceover. No. Like, there are some later, I think it's feud-based ones, that, like, you actually hear... DDP talking like, I have hit legend status. This is just like, here he is to... feud-based ones of this make sense, but just the random wrestler video packages? What's the point? Well, I mean, makes sense in they should do them. If you're going to tell me any of the DDP and Kevin Nash feud video packages made sense, they make sense to have been put into production. But anybody who bought this pay-per-view already knows who DDP is. They know who Kevin Nash is. They know who Goldberg and Sting are. Like... They don't need these glamour packages. It yeah. doesn't make any sense. No, we should about this last episode of like, yeah. give one of these to like Raven or like, you know, Canyon just showed back up. Yeah, like, that'd yeah. be cool. Who better than Canyon? Who better than Canyon? It's the question I ask myself every night before I fall asleep. The issue is sometimes he says who's better than Canyon and that's a very different question. That is a different question. Oh, and for the record, I don't know when it will air, but we're recording this before his Dark Side of the Ring episode. So we don't have any discussion of that at this point. Yeah. I'd say on a lighter note, but is this a lighter note? Because up next we get Stevie Ray with Vincent and H-Train versus <laughs> Conan. H-Train. I'm committing to it. Okay. Conan comes out to what might be a new theme. 
And we get the salad dressing promo yeah. again. Yeah. He starts listing off random salad dressing. It felt even lazier in this one. I don't know why, but he just started just writing like Italian, Caesar. Ranch. <laughs> Thousand Island. Those are dressings. But, you know, toss my salad and peel my potato. And He says that Stevie Ray is going to toss his salad and peel his potatoes. No, I think he said Vincent was going to do one, Horace was going to do the oh. other one, and then he was going to, I guess, just beat the shit out of Stevie Ray. What I did love was Conan going, yo, where are my dogs at? And Bobby Heenan going, woof, woof. <laughs> See, Bobby Heenan is great when he cares. He's also great when he doesn't give a shit. <laughs> the issue is when he cares only a little bit. Yeah. We're getting, getting to him not caring at all, and I'm like, okay, I'm on board for this. It just gets like a little snarky and I really like it. It's fun. Holy shit, though, in this match with Stevie Ray's strikes. Oh, you mean those absolutely devastating blows? Fuck me, man. <laughs> he, it, it, the match starts and he... he I, I shouldn't even say hits. He attempts like two knees and then a bunch of punches in the corner. And you could drive a truck through how much room they had. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, like Shane McMahon's embarrassed for you. <laughs> And then get a float over bulldog from Conan, and uh, I don't have a lot of notes in this one. This one kind of sucked the will from us a bit. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it's distraction from Vincent, and Stevie Ray gets the advantage. We get H-Train and Vincent double-teaming Conan on the outside. Stevie just works over Conan until he goes for a diving axe handle, which Conan is laying flat on the ground, and Stevie Ray jumps. For the, and, like, does the whole thing for the diving axe handle, it's like, what was your, like, the flying nothing is a common thing in wrestling. Mm-hmm. This one looked particularly egregious, and I don't so, know why. It was up for a while. It wasn't like, jump, pop. It was, I'm going to keep my leg up here, and you're just going to jump onto it. It, it. Yeah, it was just also, he's so committed to a move that you only do to a standing opponent. Yeah. That I'm like, what? What's, what are you doing? It was, it was less than a flying nothing, because it was dumb. I do want to see somebody in wrestling dive like that and when the guy puts the foot up you like bring your hands down and hit the foot and like drive it in that'd be cool yeah that'd be a nice little spot i don't think i've seen anybody ever do that that requires a lot of like quick thinking i mean if you plan it out beforehand you're fine in kayfabe yeah i don't care about that (laughs) in kayfabe what fucking move were you going for that's another question that's an entirely different question conan then starts his comeback until horace trips up conan and then Rey Mysterio suddenly comes out and makes the save in our theme of the night of just, oh, okay, this random person's going to interfere in this match. There's a lot of interference in this show. He makes the save and they try to do the spot of it's the one thing they didn't want to happen with Horace and Vincent, but it is the thing they want to happen because Horace just stops doing the move because I guess Rey moves too early. And then they have to reset up the spot. I think every match ends in interference except for the hardcore match. I mean, the tag match had interference, but didn't end in the interference. Okay, it had interference. Every match has interference, at least, except for the hardcore match. Which I expected interference in, weirdly enough. Yeah. Stevie Ray then sets up for his finisher, which is the weak pedigree kind of thing. Which, what's a lesser dog food brand? Uh, Purina. Purina. He sets up for, he sets up for Purina. <laughs> And by the way, I'm aware Triple H's finisher name is not based on a brand of dog food, okay? But it's funny. And as he has the arms hooked, he just, like, watches Ray climb the ropes and, like, ready to jump on him. And he finally turns to him and it's like, you fucking serious, bro? 
Ray jumps on him, and Stevie Ray catches him in a powerbomb position. So then Conan kind of just rolls him up. One, it wasn't like there was a big impact of Ray landing on no. him. So he had him rolled up for a little while. Ray then runs kind of like out of the ring to do like a dive onto Vincent and Horace. And has to like run by the ref. Like <laughs> and, run in front of the ref. Yeah. Like the ref's like turning. It's like, oh, there's Ray Mysterio. Okay. No, we're just going to ignore that. That's fine. And the ref counts the pin. He's stayed rolled up for long enough. And then Conan wins. Yeah, Yay. Conan wins. This wasn't terribly long, which was nice. I think no. it was like one of the shorter matches of the night. Thank God. But yeah, then we get Ray and Conan kind of celebrating up the ramp. And I guess they're now going to be a little group. They've been wearing like the same outfits each week, so that's it's not surprising. True. I just don't like them as a team. They're really like close socially. I believe that. I just think their styles of wrestling are different, and their like in ring personas are different. And I don't want to see them together. Any final thoughts on the actual match, though? It was it was kind of a nothing match to me. Yeah, it's the B team. So I guess I have blacked out the NWO Battle Royal that announced Shocker. like yeah right. That announced who was the new leader of the NWOB team because Stevie Ray came out and commentary was like, oh, yes, the leader of the of the NWO. And I was like, when did they decide that? And it was like, there was a whole match about it. Don't you remember? We talked about it on the podcast. I'm like, I well, completely the is, I actually it. remember me accusing you of, of just blocking that out. And you went, no, I remember that <laughs> afterwards, like, like in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, that sounds right. We then get a Kevin Nash hype package. We And we had seen this one before because... It has the uh, photos changing on, on the downbeats. Yeah, on the We go from that to a WCW.com interview with Rick Steiner. We're back to having these where it's like, let's just cut to these for about 30 seconds and, and fuck, cut off fuck when we cut it off because, yeah. you know, go to WCW.com for that, which we can't. Nope, don't exist no more. It also wasn't a great promo to begin with. I wasn't terribly interested in finding it. I mean, it was mostly just Rick Steiner going like, oh, I have a lot to prove and it's my first match back in ring since whenever. Well, I, I think the, what they're trying to say was his first like singles title match since getting hurt. But I don't remember. Yeah, it was complicated. And the point that I actually wanted to hear what they were talking about, they, they cut away from, was him talking about Booker T knowing or not knowing that Stevie Ray was helping him. And then it's cut away from it. I'm like, okay, well, fuck me then. Yeah. Following that, we get a Sting hype package that we've all seen before. You know, the dramatic one of him just going around an abandoned building. Emo music music video, Sting. And backstage, we get something we don't follow up with tonight, but I guess yeah. we will on Nitro or something. I was waiting for the payoff for this, like, all night. DDP and Bam Bam Bigelow chat, like, off mic. Like, you hear them talk to start, and then it, like, they move away a bit, and the audio, like, cuts, and it's like, okay, so they don't want you to hear what they're talking about. They have, like, a muted conversation in the hallways of the backstage, and then they just go separate ways. Yeah. And Mike Tanay is like, oh, you know, these guys apparently have had their issues. They seem to be burying the hatchet. I'm like, what hatchet? Yeah. What what, What did I miss? I've never seen the two of them on screen together in WCW. No. I'm watching the TV. Like, I I don't know what the hell you're talking about. But they're like, oh, they're both from Jersey. So they're best friends. Well, the weirdest thing was they, Mike Tanay calls it the New Jersey Shore area, which I'm like... That just feels wrong. <laughs> I forget where DDP is from in New Jersey, but I know Bam Bam is from Asbury. Yeah, he's definitely from Asbury. But they, they just said like the two of them are from the Garden State at one point, too. And, like, yeah. Or Asbury Park, because technically it's different areas. Let's go to Bam Bam's match, because that's up next. We get Brian Nobbs versus Bam Bam Bigelow in a hardcore Falls Count Anywhere match. Yes, and they both come out to no music. Yeah. 
which makes this a really weird vibe to start this match with. Yeah, I feel like Brian Knobs has had music in WCW before. Not so. Just lose the audio file. Like what the? Fuck? Couldn't get it synced up fast enough. Like Jimmy Hart is backstage. Have him do it again. <sighs> just it's just gonna be a fucking drum beat, and then him going nasty. That's all nasty it's gonna be. That's all it's gonna be. But it just it started this whole match off as like. A really weird feeling. Like it, it didn't feel like the match started. It didn't feel like it ever got going. It was, it was awkward for a good couple of minutes to start. Well, it doesn't help that t- before the match starts, Bam Bam like stops because he brings out his laundry cart mm-hmm. and then just like tosses a bunch of weapons towards the ring. But half <laughs> them make it in because the other half just hit the bottom rope and then just bounce off. off. It was significantly fewer weapons than it was, like, last week on TV. I think it was just smaller weapons. Maybe it was smaller weapons. But, like, there were no ladders. There were no tables, at least in the ring. And it just it felt like just kind of garbage in the ring as, as opposed to a bunch of stuff that's in the way. Yeah, there's, like, a server's tray. There's a bunch of cookie sheets. Mm-hmm. Because the opening part of this match is Brian Knobs working over Bam Bam with, like, cookie sheets. Yeah. There was a traffic cans. cone. There were trash cans. Yeah, nothing too massive. Early on, Bam Bam hits a diving headbutt, but Nobs kicks out. And that's our one, like, actual move for the match. Yeah, the rest of it's just weapon shots. And we need to actually talk about one of the weapons, because it'll come back up later. There is a steel chair Mm. as part of this. I don't know what's on the back of the chair, but it's not one of their standard steel chairs. Like, this has more density to it. Yeah. And he, I think it's Bam Bam hits knobs and you can hear the sound difference. Or like, like it like rattles and I'm like, what the fuck is on this chair? It's like a legitimate chair. Like it's not meant to fall apart. Like this thing, I, it went through this match and it reappeared in another match later on and there was not a dent in this thing. Yeah, it it, it sounded rough. Like it was like, oh, yeah. don't don't use that one. You're making it not as fun. Yeah. I did learn that those cookie sheets make an incredible sound. Well, there's a scene in the movie The Wrestler of them like going down the aisle. I remember, aisles, yeah, so the I'm dollar like, store. Right, let's test the sound on this. Like, oh, that's good. It sounded great. Yeah, and commentary agreed because they kept telling Mike Tanay to shut the fuck up during the weapon shots, and then that became a whole running joke through the most of this match. Is this where? Yeah, this is this is the match where commentary really started getting on my nerves again because they were just talking to each other and just like shitting on each other as opposed to actually talking about the match. Wrestlers end up on the outside, and Bam Bam uses a waiter's tray as a shield from some weapon shot. Which, which like, I, smart. I liked. Like, yeah. yeah. Use the weapons as shields as well. Like, And then he hits smart. knobs with it. Well, yeah. <laughs> I got the feeling during this match that, like, I almost wanted to look up, is there actual beef between the two of these guys? Because they don't seem to like working with each other. Like, Bam Bam just is fucking full force smash throwing weapons. At Brian Knobs, and they seem to be getting kind of pissed with each other at various points. Which is different from how Bam Bam was acting in the ring last week on Nitro, because last week on Nitro, I said that it seems like Bam Bam is phoning it in, and he's just kind of, like, going through the motions of it. But this time, it looked like he was just angry. Like, shoot angry. I did say that, like, my opinion still stands that these hardcore matches are getting formulaic and boring for everyone involved. Like, I don't think the wrestlers are having fun. The audience is clearly not having fun, and the commentary couldn't care less. So we need to we need to stop these. Yeah, I mean, I meant to mention last week, if you're Batman Bigelow, you came into the company feuding with Goldberg, and you've dropped to, like, the complete undercard. Yeah. You're nowhere near Goldberg anymore. It is a significant fall from grace. 
On the outside, Nobbs tosses Bigelow into the laundry cart and the lid just kind of breaks. <laughs> and then Bam Bam tosses Nobbs into that same spot and Nobbs just kind of bounces off because the lid isn't solid anymore. And just the cart kind of gives way and then gives it right back. The second shot didn't look like it hurt more. It's like it was just like fun. The two brawl up to the WCW.com area and one of the monitors just falls on Nobbs. <laughs> I think you were more nervous for the monitor. Yeah. Then they brawl to the weirdest placed merch stand I think I've seen. Oh my god, yeah. And this was like a functioning merch stand. There were things on the wall with price tags on them. This wasn't just like a spot that they put extra merch for some runner to come back and grab extra t-shirts or something. Well, I would say I wondered if they set this up so that they had this little area to brawl in. It had to have been a prop, yeah. But it looked like it was set up to be a functioning spot. If it was just Um, like a surplus table, The issue is... If you're looking at the stage, it's to the right of the stage, so no one can get to that. Like, maybe one section of fans on the floor could, but I'm pretty sure that's blocked off. Yeah, I don't think that there's anybody over there. Yeah. There were two people standing over there who were clearly plants that oh, Brian Knobs like, threw around or something. They then peel back one of the curtains that's over there, like, hiding backstage, and brawl around there while Knobs grabs a ladder. And it was like, oh, this is kind of a weird entry point and then it's they a don't... weird like behind the curtain moment literally literally but they don't do anything interesting with it no they just grab a ladder call it a day it's also super dark back there so cameras try to follow them back and it's not like the cameras can pick anything up yeah so we get the finish of this match where knobs lays bam i should say lays knobs bends bam bam over a table so bam over bam... that merch table yeah so bam bam can easily move and then he climbs up kind of into the fans like upper riser section so He's probably, you know, like 10 feet up or so. He goes to dive through Bam Bam on the table. Bam Bam moves, and when Bam Bam moves, I think just weight distribution, the table kind of shifts a little bit. Doesn't matter, though, because Brian Knobs just completely overshoots and lands on Bam Bam, who is, like, moved off the table at this point. So he overshot by, like, three or four feet. But if he hadn't overshot, he would have gotten the edge of the table, like, right into his sternum. So, like, it could have been really bad. But you also don't know that when you're starting your dive. Right. So it could have been really bad, but it was just bad in a different way. Yeah. It looked probably more sore than than it would have. Uh, Bam Bam then gets up, hits his suplex on knobs through the table. Very darkly gets the pin because you can't see no. shit. And, of course, it's like, I think it's Nick Patrick or Randy Anderson who's doing, like, the shortest arm counts. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, don't make a show of this. Don't make sure anybody else can see you. It's fine. We'll just take your word for it. This was not a good match. No. I'm really tired of these hardcore matches. I, I did not think Hugh Morris would be my favorite hardcore match on the, on the podcast. Right? Of WCW ones. God, that seems like a lifetime ago at this point. Well, our next pay-per-view we're doing is... Hardcore heaven from ECW, so that's gonna be real hardcore though. That not like not this the, bullshit. Not this, not this pussy shit. <laughs> it's gonna be ECW hardcore. That's gonna be like scary and blood and hack making me nervous for my own life. Like no, hack won't be there because we're watching it in real time. Hack's oh, still in is... WCW. Yeah. Oh wow. Oh, this I thought is the first I thought one this we're was... watching in actual timeline. Gotcha. I thought this was going to be for like 98 or something. No, and it's going to be interesting because I was looking into that a little bit beforehand and there's going to be a couple no-shows because uh, they're owed about $80,000. Oh my God. Ooh, interesting. I'm excited for that conversation. We'll move on from that disappointing match to our next disappointing match. It's Booker T and Rick Steiner. 
Uh, it's a shame that this was so disappointing because like this could have been cool. This could have been good. Yeah, I really liked Rick Steiner early in the podcast. Mm-hmm. We actually do get the aforementioned video package for these two beforehand. Yes, this matches for the television title. Both men come out, and Rick Steiner's like, "No, have Booker T checked because I don't want to make sure he doesn't have the uh, slapjack or anything." Yeah, but I mean, it was the most like quick kind of nothing check for both of them. Yeah, the lightest pat down you could even consider. The match starts, and these two just seem a bit off to start. I don't know what the issue yeah. is. They just they don't get each other's rhythm right off the bat, so it's a very slow start. It's lots of start and then stop and yeah. then start and then stop. And that's kind of the that's how the whole match goes. We get another weird moment with the referees of a ref actually admonishing Rick Steiner for using closed fists. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah. This is where I said, this is Nick Patrick as the ref. This is when I said that he's too involved because he is like right up in their faces the entire first third of this match. Like, back off, dude. Yeah. The crowd does not care about this match. Can you blame them? Yeah, there's I mean, not much to it. I'm like literally halfway through my notes of this match. It's a shame because like I, I've told you, I've really grown to love Booker T and like I really love his matches most of the time but this is not peak Booker like this is bad and like you said you really liked Rick to the, at the beginning of this podcast so it should have been cool to see a guy that we know is a good wrestler match up with a guy that we've seen be great on this show <sighs> it's frustrating Booker then hits a scissor kick and then a spine buster he goes up top and actually manages to hit a missile drop kick but mm. Scott Steiner suddenly comes down when Booker's going for the pin and like causes a distraction ref doesn't call for a DQ or anything And he hangs out and interferes like three times before the finish. Yeah. Which kills the finish. Yeah. Like him interfering should be the finish, not like, oh, he interfered a third time? Okay. Oh, now we're done. This is what I'm saying. Like there was so much interference in this show. It was wild. Rick then hits a Steiner Bulldog and gets the pin and new television champion. Rick seems kind of blind to Scott helping him in this, kind of similar to how Stevie Ray was helping Booker T, so... I mean, I knew there was going to be interference in this because of how much interference has been in the build to this. But I honestly yeah. thought it would be Stevie Ray again. Yeah, he just didn't show up on this at all. Disapp- he had his match for the night and he called it a night. Yeah, disappointing match. Interference yeah. got messy. It was just a bummer. It really was a bummer. Anyway. Yeah, I just want to move on from that Yeah, one. let's Literally, just keep the, going. Probably, probably ran through that about 30 seconds. But Oh, I did notice that um, Booker T uses the spin Rooney to get up, but kind of also as a taunt. And I think this might be the first time we see it as a taunt. Because up until this point in WCW, it's been mostly used to get up or like to finish off a, a move or something. So I think we're starting to see the starts of the Spinner Rooney here, as we know it today. Potentially. We'll, we'll see when they actually start calling it the uh, Spinner Rooney. Yeah, they're still calling it just like that spin move. Let's move on from that match to a Charles Robinson Gorgeous George video package. Oh, I'm so not looking forward to this match. Well, before we get that, we, we do go backstage of Rick Steiner trying to find Scott Steiner. And then he finds Buff and is like, good luck, brother. And that's it. Foreshadowing. And then we get one of the most hyped up matches on this show on for TV. Yeah. Charles Robinson with Asia. And she is called Asia. She's not Double D anymore. This is the jacked nurse that came from the mental hospital. And Ric Flair versus Gorgeous George with Medusa, Miss Madness, and Randy Savage. And I noted this match needs to happen before Piper and Flair. Because if Piper wins that match later, there's literally no reason for this match to happen. Right. But this this match was so hyped up that it had to happen. So it, they had to make a way for it to be, like, make sense in story. So Thoughts on George's attire? 
I appreciate that she took note of her I'm ass- our assumed nip slip from last week, and her her top is secure. She's not slipping any nips this week. Yeah, she's like in full like, cheerleading attire. Mm-hmm. I liked it, actually. I thought it was cute and fun. I like those like pleated skirts. They're fun. So I was hoping, I'm like, oh, maybe we won't have anything weird and creepy that Rick does that is going to make us feel weird ways because we're recording this a couple days after the plane ride from hell, dark side of the ring. <sighs> But Are we going to talk about it? Rick grabs the mic and immediately is like, hey, Medusa, I, you know, I, I wanted you to ride Space Mountain for quite a while. And it's like, hey, Molly Holly, you know, I guess you can join. It's like, oh, uh, not Molly Holly. She's too pure. She's too innocent. Leave her alone. Yeah. As we've kind of mentioned with some other topics, we're just trying to recap old TV. We do not condone the behaviors of any of the wrestlers that we talk about. In so many words. I would say, when like, it comes to people like Ric Flair and Scott Hall and Chris Benoit. And yeah, we're not going to Tommy Dreamer ourselves here. Absolutely not. Like what they did on the plane is disgusting. And what yeah. these people, what, what Chris Benoit did is, is horrifying. Like we don't condone this stuff. We are not saying that these are good people. We are just recapping television from the 90s. Yes. It is really tough to be a wrestling fan in 2021 because of the the history behind the people that are considered legends. It is it's really hard. And as someone who only got into wrestling only like 3 years ago, I'm kind of seeing it all unfold as I'm learning about them as wrestlers. So we use this podcast and we use wrestling as an escape, but we are not ignorant to the commentary that's going on behind the scenes. We are not just living in the nostalgia of it. We are aware and we are not stupid and we know what we're talking about. Anyway, let's move on to the next match. Or to the match, I suppose. We're just going to skip over this one. (laughs) No, let's get to the match. Yeah, so, yeah, Rick cuts his promo. And then Charles Robinson grabs the mic, and he has a promo. And I think, actually, we have some levity here to take us out of the dark side of the ring. (laughs) Charles Robinson grabs the mic and pretty much says, you know, I'm going to beat Gorgeous George. And afterwards, we're going to take a ride on Space Mountain to which both of us looked at each other and were like, wait. Did- so I have some questions. <laughs> Are you implying you're both going to have sex with Ric Flair? Yeah, in case you're not aware, Space Mountain is what Ric Flair calls his his dick. Is Charles Robinson a little gay? Is he gay? He might be. I think this was, this was a slip which had humorous undertones okay. to it. Like, there's a line of commentary from Triple H on, I want to say it's King of the Ring 98. Where China's just rarely doing commentary with the Spanish announce team. Oh. Because she's bilingual. I always forget that. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to forget. Yeah. But Jim Ross mentions that and something about being bilingual and Triple H just goes, I'm bi a lot of things, but lingual isn't one of them. And Jim (laughs) Ross like, did you mean to say that? And he's like, no, not really. (laughs) (laughs) What? Maybe Charles Robinson just thinks that uh, after he beats Gorgeous George, they're just going to go to Disneyland. (laughs) Just innocent Charles Robinson. I really want to ride the roller coaster, man. I think he meant like, oh, I'm also going to call my dick Space Mountain. but Because he's Little Nate, maybe. I really wanted him to call it like Splash Mountain or something. (laughs) Oh my god, that would be great. But we didn't didn't take note of um, Charles Robinson's look. He comes out when the, like... Looking like me. Oh, yeah, he's doing a full Ric Flair impression. So he's bleached his hair bright blonde. He's got the spray tan on. He has a matching robe to Ric Flair. It's really kind of cute. He also, on his trunks, when he takes the robe off, he does have CR in the same way Ric Flair has RF and like in like a little script on, on, his, on his trunks. It's kind of cute. In like a, 
I want to be just like you, Dad, sort of way. After their promos, we then get Randy Savage grabbing the mic. Because, of course. And he says that George is going to kick Robinson's ass. Don't know why that was necessary for this, but I guess it did actually kind of pick the crowd back up because yeah. they just kind of died after two men are like, we're going to have sex with these women. It's like, okay. Okay, cool. But George is going to beat your ass. Also, so. Medusa did not seem opposed to having sex with Ric Flair when he kind of propositioned it. She was kind of like, you know, maybe. It was like, oh, okay. Maybe she's down. Maybe she's into it. The match starts, kinda. And After a while. Ro- Charles Robinson struts a lot to start this match. Oh my god, yeah. He he nailed his Ric Flair impression, and he wants to continue to do it until... Th- this is the only moment he will get to do this impression. He's gonna do it, damn it. We then get arm twists and arm wrenches from both Gorgeous George and Charles Robinson. And then George is just like... Wrenching the arm more and <laughs> has one move to which I just wrote, this is wrestling. She learned, like, we got all these training montages about Gorgeous George being in the gym with Medusa and getting her in ring shape or whatever. The only move that she seems to have been taught is that arm wrench. And so they do, she does it like three or four times and then Charles Robinson turns around and does it on her three or four times. And like, that's the only move we get. <laughs> That's not true, because up next we get a full Nelson and then a snapmare from George, which promised Ric Flair to get on the apron, and then George pushes Robinson into Flair, and then everyone just kind of postures for a couple minutes. Yeah. Like, we get various moments of people just full-on entering the ring to, like, argue with the ref. It's like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah, what? On the outside, Flair gives Robinson a chair, but Miss Madness comes and grabs it, so Robinson hits her from behind and then scoop slams her on the floor, which they sell, like... Oh my god, this woman's dead. She, this is a devastating blow. Like, no, this is Mighty Molly. This is Molly freaking Holly. You think she's gonna get taken down by one scoop slam? Absolutely not. She's fine. Back inside, we get Charles Robinson choking Gorgeous George on the ropes for like three different times. Three times in a row. And then chokes her on the ground. There's just no variety in the moves. It's you do one move and you do it four times and then you do the next move and you do that four times. Like... Maybe intersperse them? Yeah. I don't know. Do he an then, arm twist and then a choke and then another arm twist and then a choke. Like, vary it up a little. He then chops George in the corner, but she gets the advantage and chops him a few times before tossing him into the corner and he does the flare turnbuckle spot, oh ducks God. the clothesline, and then goes up to the top rope where he gets caught <laughs> and, and and George tosses him off the ropes, which I laugh my ass off at. I missed whatever move it was, but shortly thereafter, we get a flare flop from Charles we Robinson as well. We get the flare flop, of course, because if it's not going to be a Ric Flair parody match, just what I'm calling it, this is a flare, it's a flare, a flarity without the flare flop. We do get a brutal looking knee breaker from Charles Robinson. Like, I thought he was going for like an atomic drop kind of thing. Oh, yeah. But just the way she comes down, like that looked fucking rough. That did. He then locks in the figure four. George manages to reverse the pressure, so Flair just comes in and breaks it up. It's like, okay. Savage hits him out of the ring and then low blows Robinson and scoop slams him while the ref is trying to tend to Ric Flair. We get a Brett's Rope elbow drop from Gorgeous George and she gets the pin. Woo! Randy Savage is now reinstated. Yay! Yeah, which which is what all this was about. I guess we didn't note that at the start of this match. Oh, well. Yes, that was the stipulation. If George wins, Randy Savage is reinstated. If... Charles Robinson wins. Randy Savage is fired? Just or just work. not? Yeah. Yeah, there was, wasn't really a lot of stakes to Charles Robinson winning. That would have been interesting of like, I'll like void my contract and you don't have to pay me. Yeah. But I guess if you do that, it's 
Like, oh, I guess he'll just go to WWF. We don't want to hype people up for that. Right. Thoughts on the match? Were you Were you entertained? I was entertained. It was not a good match, but it was entertaining. It was stupid, but it was fun. Yeah, it got dragged out a little too much to me. Like, there's a lot of just weird pauses. Yeah. But there were some entertaining bits to this. Like, I, I, I laughed my ass off at... The flare turnbuckle spot, and then you know him going up top. Oh my god, yeah. And Charles Robinson does a good Ric Flair impression. He really does. Yeah, he's just small, so you kind of can't have him do this against anybody other than women. Yeah, which makes sense. But like I think I've said before, I really do like the idea of intergender matches. Like I don't think it should be so taboo for a guy, a smaller guy. Like I'm not saying put Randy Savage up against. I don't know, Trish Stratus, like somebody tiny. But I don't think it's a bad thing to have somebody of um, Charles Robinson's stature up against somebody of Gorgeous George's stature because they're, they're well, on the same level, kind of. I was going to say, there, there's been a couple instances of, you know, very different physiques having good intergender matches. Unfortunately, I think none of them are on WWE TV. Mm. Uh, I know she's mostly canceled, but Tessa Blanchard like once won the Impact World title. Oh, I don't know who Tessa Blanchard is. There was a whole promotion that like really didn't steer away from them. There's a match of Cesaro versus Candice LeRae that's apparently amazing. I've oh. never seen it. I want to find it, but interesting. Yeah, hmm. we might have to seek those out. After I like the, that. After I think podcast. that's interesting because like they they did put China with the men a lot in WWE TV, which makes sense because China would you know overpower any of the women that WWE had in their women's quote unquote women's division at the time. But, I mean, like, today's wrestling, like, there should be more. Even in 2021, like, there should be more. So, speaking of the women's divisions, there's not really another good time to mention this. There's no Nitro next week, as we've mentioned. Yes, because of NBA or something. Yeah, or I guess the next night. That's the Raw where they do the bra and panties match for the women's title, and Deborah wins the belt because she got stripped. Shawn Michaels just comes out and goes, nah, you win. Fuck it. Is this the Brown Panties match with Miss Kitty? No, with Sable. Oh. Because they basically needed to get the belt off Sable because she was turning into a diva. Ironic. I know. Well, they weren't calling them divas then. I know. That's the irony. It gets turned into the divas division. Ugh. So, this is not the last we've seen of actually the majority of people involved in this segment, so we'll move on. We get a Buff Bagwell, Scott Steiner video package. It's just them cutting back and forth between two promos and there's no music. And we just yeah. see more of Buff Bagwell's terrible impression yeah. of and Scott Steiner. And that awful blonde wig. Including the phrase, the big bad poo-poo daddy. And it's just a bunch of like poop jokes. Well, it's 1999. Poop jokes are funny. What the fuck, Nick? Like, I almost felt the need to look up. I'm like, does Scott Steiner have a weird, like, poop kink? Ew. I don't want to look that up. Please don't ruin your <laughs> no. search history with that. Exactly. That's why I didn't. I don't want to know. Sometimes things are better left unknown. That's also our next match. The, the poop? <laughs> the poop. <laughs> Scott Steiner comes out for his entrance and gets on the ropes and he poses and flexes. And there's a massive roid rage sign behind him. Oh, my God. And they had to, like, zoom in, like, get it out of there. Buff hits Scott before the bell, and they start pretty fast-paced until Steiner hits a low blow. And it's like, well, okay, that's that solved. There goes all that momentum. And then he hits the second one, and I'm like, DQ? Yeah. No. Okay. There yeah. are a lot of low blows in this show. But again, there are also a lot of bad referees. So, 
We get like a half dominator from Scott Steiner. It's an interesting spot of like he like picks him up halfway through bringing him down. He like runs him into the turnbuckle. Like it looked it looked rough. Oh yeah, that's when he like has him on his shoulder like a freaking missile. Yeah, yeah. We get a butterfly bomb from Scott, and Scott's just working him over. Buff does not seem to be in the same league no. as Scott Steiner here. Well, look at Scott Steiner tonight. He looks so big and veiny. Like, extra veiny. Like, he took yeah. an extra dose today because it's, you know, pay-per-view, whatever. Yikes. I know you meant of steroids, but I'm thinking of, like, Batman, like, Bane's venom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gotta do more. Give me an extra hit, brother. Belly-to-belly suplex from Scott, and then he goes to grab a chair, but misses the chair shot, so Buff clotheslines the chair into Scott's face and starts his comeback. Scott pulls the breath in the way of a Buff clothesline, so Buff grabs the chair. This prompts Rick Steiner to come out and just go, nah, give give me the chair, you do your finisher. And like an idiot, Buff goes, okay. Yeah, okay, good idea. So Rick then gets on the apron with the chair, and when Buff's on the second rope, swerve, Rick Steiner hits Buff Bagwell. We have now come, I guess we're halfway through the circle. Because on our first show, Halloween Havoc 1998, Buff turned on Rick Steiner to join Scott Steiner. Oh, it's kind of full circle. Even though the setup for that was literally on the Nitro beforehand, Buff was like, no, I'm leaving Scott Steiner. And then, and now he didn't. Wow. Well, that's kind of interesting, though. That's interesting storytelling. I don't know if they intended that, but it's an interesting storytelling. So Scott gets Buff in the Steiner recliner as Rick kind of makes the ref wake up. You had an issue with that. Yeah, so... Like we said, there's been a lot of interference, and then the referee is just kind of being like, I pretend I do not see it. But at this point, Rick Steiner grabs the referee, hoists him up, and like positions his head to look at what's happening, like to look at the submission, and that's fine. So like you you cannot ignore the fact that there was a person in the ring interfering. Yeah, but I but guess t- technically you don't know what they did you, you have no proof this person actually interfered it's such a thin line i didn't it honestly didn't bother me at all like not even a little the, the low blows bothered me more than this because of how much interference we've had over, throughout the night with the refs like not really caring this that that's why it annoyed me if this was like a once-off like nothing else had happened and everything else was fine with the referees then i'd be like yeah whatever it's fine but it just feels like more ref fuckery <laughs> For lack of a better term. So the two beat down Buff to close the segment. And they actually manage to do the thing you want to happen. As Rick holds up Buff Bagwell. And Scott hits him with the belt. And Buff doesn't duck or anything. Like, oh, Actually okay, hits yeah. him. Rare occurrence. Thoughts on the match? Fine. Better than I expected it to be. Yeah. like This, this wasn't a bad match. It was just like, eh. Yeah, it was fine. It was not disastrous by any mark of the word. I'm intrigued at the Steiners being back together. I'd like to hear a promo about why, and I don't yeah, know if we're going to get one. Probably not. We're not going to get an explanation. But I'm also fine if this means Buff takes a back seat for a while, because... Why? You don't love him? You don't want to see him every week? He is not the stuff. Whoa, don't let him hear you say that. During this match, he did not look to be in the same league as Scott Steiner, and it's like a... You look kind of look like a little bit of a jabroni here. <laughs> we go from that match to a Goldberg hype package. It's the same one that was on Nitro mm-hmm. in a common theme. We're just like, ah, oh, copy and paste. Yep, pretty much. Commentary talks about it and I'm like, yep, that's coming up next. Except what's actually coming up next is a Kevin Nash versus DDP hype package, which then also hypes Sting versus Goldberg. 
Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay. So, you know, Sting so you must be Goldberg. getting that match next, right? Liars. Bold faced liars. Up next is Ric Flair versus Roddy Piper. Because we also get a feud package for that, too. Like, basically, like, three video packages here. Yeah. Back to back to back. Or three and a half, because I thought it was just the one match. And the thing. Oh, no. We're talking about Sting Goldberg. Yeah. So, yeah. Instead, we're going with Ric Flair versus Roddy Piper. Ric Flair has Arn Anderson and Asia coming out with him. And winner of this match has control of WCW. Remember that. Can we talk about how Asia doesn't know how to be sexy? Sure. When they're coming out, Asia just made me laugh. When they come out, it's like, you know, everyone hype up Ric Flair or just kind of like stand there in the background like Arn Anderson does. He doesn't he doesn't like point at Rick and like, look at this man. But usually the women kind of like look at the guy that they're with and like, Hype them up, point at them, whatever. Asia just kind of, like, stands there and very briefly just does a, like, two hands at him. Like, gesturing toward him, like, there he is. And that's it. And then Ric Flair looks at her and says, do it, like, does the motion, like, go do a twirl. And she just turns around and faces the back. Like, faces up the ramp. Like, he obviously wanted her to do, like, a cute, sexy twirl. And she's just like, oh, turn around to the way we came? Okay, bye. Honey, you just don't know how to be sexy. You don't know how to sell your, like, your femininity, which is fine. Like, not, you shouldn't have to. But maybe don't team up with Ric Flair. (laughs) So, match starts, and we get Ric Flair swapping the ref for Charles Robinson, and then just fires the original ref. Yeah, what the hell? And then he threatens to fire Piper. Which he, he did! He did fire Roddy Piper! So Piper just slaps him. Flair regroups on the outside, and the two trade chops until... Piper hits about 25 punches to Flair's head, and then we get a Flair flop. Which made me happy. Flair begs off, so Roddy Piper just pokes him in the eyes. <laughs> Low blow to Piper, and Charles Robinson just turns around. Which, somebody tell Charles Robinson, well, if you turn around after the move has already happened... It doesn't work. Yeah. That's not the same thing, sir. Ard works over Piper on the outside, as Flair just kind of chats with Robinson in the ring. Yeah, they just, like, have a little chit-chat. Flair then works Piper over in the corner and then signals for Asia to come in and have her low-blow Piper. She gives him a rough low-blow. Yeah, this might have been a bit stiff because Piper literally goes, oh, fuck. (laughs) It's like, yeah, she doesn't seem to be a trained wrestler. Like, did you just kind of knee him in the balls for real? So the two trade body blows until we get the Flair turnbuckle spot to the floor. Flair works over the knee and locks into figure four. Piper manages to turn it over, and then we get Piper decking Arn on the outside. Hell yeah. Aloha Flair turns into Flair being double-cheeked up on a Sunday night. <laughs> Hella ass. Double-cheeked. I have not quoted that in so long. Yeah, Flair just gets his ass out and, like, runs around the ring. Of course he does. He's Rick fucking Flair. Which has a different connotation now as I say it. Yeah. Piper catches him and locks in the figure four. He seems to verbally give up, but, you know, because it's WWE, they don't do tap out. So it's like, oh, I guess he did. Yeah. He like verbally says, I give up. I give up. And then Charles Robinson's like, no, you're fine. Which they've done that spot before. Orange just comes in and breaks up the move and goes for the spine buster. But Piper locks in a sleeper on Arn. Piper then gets one in on Flair until Asia breaks it up. Piper then kisses her and puts the sleeper in on her. I really hated that. I hated it. Maybe it was the fact that we just watched the Dark Side of the Ring episode. I'm yeah. like, look, it's only weird in kayfabe. Like, they, this was consensual in real life. You're right. This was definitely talked about and planned. 
we could have done gross? We could, Absolutely. We could have done without it, but in terms of what to get upset about, it's like let's get upset about the real stuff, not the yeah. not not the kayfabe stuff. In terms of consent, we assume it was there for this. He then puts her in the sleeper. Yes. <laughs> Charles Robinson breaks it up, so Piper just fucking decks him. Flair hits Piper with something in his hand. I don't know what. I'm convinced half the time they're not even holding anything. Just Probably like, not. Oh, just, you know. You just kind of go into your boxers just for a second. Yeah. Hits Flair in the head and pins him. Woo. So Ric Flair is now still in charge of WCW. Until we get Eric Bischoff coming out. Full gray hair here, too. Yeah, he's no longer um, Leather Daddy Bischoff. He is now Grey Father Bischoff. Forgive me, Father. I have booked poorly. <laughs> he tells Flair to shut the hell up and just decides Roddy Piper won the match. He says, I've screwed a lot of stuff up, but I'm not screwing this up. Piper won this match. Flair can bite me. Big pop for that. Piper then fires Flair. And Flair has a mic and just taunts the crowd. Taunts children. Taunts children. He gets into a shouting match with like three young boys, like eight-year-old kids. Piper then thanks Eric Bischoff, which, like, I never thought I'd do this, but, like, thanks. And the segment just ends flat. It was weird, yeah. Should have ended on him firing Flair, because the big pop for that, and then it just lingered. I think it was supposed to end on that. Because did you notice that Roddy Piper's mic was not on when he started talking? Well, they also cut Ric Flair's mic, so I'm wondering if they cut all the mics and then... Maybe. Yeah. Thoughts on the match itself? I guess maybe the whole segment as a whole? (sighs) The match was forgettable like i'm not gonna remember this tomorrow yeah but the segment at the end i liked i really did like eric bischoff coming in and being like no we're done with this bullshit it like, makes no sense but if it actually sticks i'll be happy exactly with it. like in kayfabe eric bischoff has no power he lost his power to that's rick true. flair he shouldn't be able to do this that's true yeah we'll, we'll we'll see if this sticks or not i'm i'm skeptical it feels like it's gonna be a bait and switch i don't disagree but I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful, and I liked that Bischoff is, like, putting his foot down. I also really did. I don't know why, but I really liked Flair yelling at those kids. <laughs> it was I, cute. Like I, I, think, like I think it was just because the character is meant to be so unhinged that he's literally just shouting at children. But it was it was honestly kind of sweet, because they did the, the opposite shot, and it showed the three kids yelling at Ric Flair. They were so happy. Like, they had the biggest smiles on their face. It was really sweet in the moment. He could have he could have jabbed at anybody, but he chose those kids, and it was nice. So let's go to our semi-main event. We get a Sting versus Goldberg hype package. Ask the question, who is the franchise? The answer, of course, is Shane Douglas, but, you know. Pardon? <laughs> I knew you wouldn't get that joke. No. And I guess I don't really understand what they're asking when they say who's the franchise. Are they saying, like, who's the face of the company? Basically. Okay. Why don't they just say that? But, yeah, like, the franchise player is a common phrase in sports. This isn't sports. It's sports entertainment. So yeah, we get Sting versus Goldberg, and the uh, first move of the match is botched. I don't know who is to blame for that one, but... Throughout this whole match, it just seems rigid. Like, they don't really work well together. It doesn't seem like Sting wants to take the hits right. They don't seem to, like, be matching each other's rhythm. Yeah, I kind of wonder if they just know that this match is going to end in bullshit, and it wasn't that hyped up to begin with, and it's not going to go that long. And yeah. they're like, fuck it, let's just kill time. Maybe. It just, it felt very weird. Goldberg then hits a power slam and clotheslines Sting to the floor. 
Sting gets back in, hits a big drop kick, and clotheslines Goldberg to the floor. Like they're trying to portray these two as like they are on level ground. Yes, which I understood that bit of it. Goldberg locks in an arm bar, and this is where I realized it's actually hard to tell when you don't mic the crowd well the difference between a boring chant and a Goldberg, Goldberg chant. Yeah, because you looked at me and you're like, "Is that a boring chant?" Yeah, which the words don't sound similar, but it's like the timbre's the same. And yeah, it's the long O and ending ending in a G. It's like oh. Yeah. Goldberg. It's very similar. Sting hits a face buster and then starts working over the knee, including a Boston Crab. Just, again, can Jericho even be more out the door? I love him and I miss him. And Goldberg powers out. Which is a nice spot. He's like full on. like, no, fuck you. Yeah, you yeah. don't have this move anymore. You get an underhook suplex and a swinging neckbreaker from Goldberg. Sting then hits a diving clothesline and two stinger splashes. He goes for a third one, but it's called with a spear in a lot of quotes. It's a spine buster, and I want to yeah. take a minute and talk about it. I want to get on the soapbox. Just because he catches you in the midsection, a spear is him going through you. If he catches you there and then slams you, it's a spine buster. If he shifts your body in, into more of a slam, it's not a spear. And they do this all the time. Like, WWE does it now. He'll, they'll do moves where, like, he'll... Like, run and, like, pick somebody up and then slam him. Like, oh, what a spear there. I'm like, it's not. <laughs> and this is your hill that you will be dying on. Yes. With no fanfare, we suddenly get Bret Hart. Yeah, I thought nowhere. we weren't seeing him in, for months. I, it, like, caught me off guard. I was like, what the? F- That's Bret Hart. And what does Bret Hart have in his hand? The chair. That chair. The one from earlier that, like. The chair rattles and he hits goldberg right over the fucking head Ugh, the sound it made was haunting he then works over goldberg's knee with the chair and oh at this point the bell has rung into dq yes and he works over goldberg's knee with the chair and i think this chair being what it is actually created an issue yeah so there's no way to know it but goldberg actually was taken to the hospital after this to like make sure his knee wasn't fucked because it hurt like shit Oh. Brett was super apologetic. Like, I think this chair had too much, I think, like, weight or whatever to it. I mean, they're, they're regular chairs. They're not gimmick chairs. We literally have one in the room. <laughs> but I think this didn't have enough give and actually, like, fucked up his knee a little bit. You know how at, like, certain events they still have, like, nicer outdoor events, like a graduation, say. They still have folding chairs, but they're, like, folding chair plus one. It's like a nicer version of a folding chair. I feel like this is kind of more like that. However, this is a note to keep in mind for long down the road. Bret Hart potentially injured Goldberg. Bret Hart apologized to him immediately. This will come into play a couple months from now. Note. So Bret works him over a bit, and then as he's hitting the chair shots, we suddenly get the Steiner brothers running out, which felt super random. Yeah, I didn't get that. And they were coming down, and they immediately went for Sting. But then they were like, oh, yeah, Goldberg, too. Yeah. It was... They just... And Bret Hart just disappears during this. Yeah, he just walks right off. And the Steiner Brothers beat down Goldberg and Sting to end the segment, and they cut away kind of quickly. Just like, okay, it was we, need, we need to move on. So this match was not much of anything, although I don't think it was supposed to be. This was this was angle advancement. It was too quick to be yeah, much it's, of anything. Yeah, it's setting up Goldberg versus Bret. Yeah. Which, unfortunately, we Does know won't happen. We're, we're nearing that. We, we will have a chat about that when we get to it in the timeline. So let's move on to the main event of the night, or at least try to, because the we get a DDP versus Kevin Nash package, like you know, that starts like 
almost in the middle of the beatdown. Mm-hmm. And then the package ends, and Emily, what happens? Commentary just stalled. Like, they're not ready to be moving on to the next match yet. They cut away from the, the previous match so quickly to get into this package, but they left too much time, I guess? It was... Commentators had to sit and stall for, like, two or yeah, three Yeah, they minutes. weren't done clearing everything because no. the segment was still going on when they cut away. And there was, like, okay, everybody run, run, run. It's like... Yeah. It was literally, like, two minutes of just commentators filling airspace. Yeah. If they had just waited, they could have seen the end of the beatdown and had them kind of go to the back and then you go to the package. Yeah. Because there Geniuses. was no shortage of time. I mean... This does. This show doesn't end quickly. Like, oh, we're out there, bye. Like, oh, no, it does not end quickly. Jesus Christ, it doesn't end quickly. <laughs> Are you ready for like an eighteen-minute main event with Kevin Nash? Luckily, it didn't feel like eighteen minutes. I wonder if that time includes all of the extra stuff too. Maybe. But we get Michael Buffer. It's time for the uh, main event between Diamond Dallas Page and Big Sexy. By the way, saying Big Sexy will always make me laugh. So this match is for the WCW title, and I don't know why it took me so long to realize that there's no shot Kevin Nash is not winning this match. He's booking the show. I'm like, oh, right. Yeah, I didn't I, think about I, it. I, I literally, like, like they were coming out and I went, oh, wait a minute. Nash is 100% going to win. Because also, the, uh, Nash has been losing recently. Yeah. So it's one of those, like, oh, see, I put over Goldberg, so now I get to have my cake. And the other night we were talking about, like, DDP only holds the title three times and we're on time number two. And, like, for some reason that put in my head, like, oh, he's almost done with this run. I mean, his next run isn't for a while. I know. But just for whatever reason, you saying that, I think we were, like, talking about it with friends or something. And it just put it in my head, like, oh, he's about to lose it. We're almost done with this. I should have, like, thought about it more. So early in the match, DDP goes for the diamond cutter, but Nash manages to brush it off. He does the framed up elbow, which I hate, but uh, <laughs> I feel the need to note that the suck it taunt has now been added to his routine for that. Ugh, yes, it has. DDP hits a low blow while the ref tries to pull him out of the corner, so the ref is actually a little bit distracted. I'm like, okay, that's fine. That's the only ref spot that has actually been like, yeah, he could have actually been distracted. DDP then pulls wire cutters out of his trunks, and I'm like, how the fuck long were those there? Yeah, danger? Like, and takes off a turnbuckle pad, exposing the actual turnbuckle. So think about the logistics of that. Putting a wire cutter in your trunks, yeah. that's close to a lot of valuable cargo. Would you want that there? I wonder if it was like E-taped or something around the head, that, and then you can just kind of easily pull it apart. But that would make me nervous. In an interesting spot, he then points out to the ref, like, oh, the turnbuckle pad's off. And then hits Kevin Nash with a microphone while the ref is going, oh, what's going on over here? It was a weird thing of like actually creating a real distraction for the ref. Like, oh. I don't think I've ever seen anybody take the turnbuckle pad off and then tell the ref that, oh, it's gone now. Yeah. I did like him going like, well, I don't know what happened to it. Oh, well, it just fell off. Nash counters DDP and smashes DDP's head into the exposed turnbuckle. We get a baseball slide to Nash and then DDP hits a diamond cutter on the floor. Like an idiot, DDP <laughs> tries to pin Nash on the floor and is like, no, it's false count anywhere. I was like, no, it's not. Yeah, like he's arguing about the stipulations of this match. And the ref is like, it is not false. Who told you it's false count anywhere? DDP then rolls him back in the ring and tries to pin with feet on the ropes directly in the ref's eye line. Yeah, both feet too. It, was, it wasn't It was just like one sneaky push. It was putting his entire body's balance on that rope. But Kevin Nash kicks out. DDP works over Nash's knees for a little while, and I think a fight or something breaks out in the crowd because everyone turns around. Oh, yeah. All of a sudden, nobody cared about what was going on in the ring. 
Nash gets the advantage and hits Snake Eyes on the exposed turnbuckle again. It was like weird seeing them use that spot twice. <laughs> we get a big boot and he signals for the jackknife and just hits it. I don't know if I've seen anybody really counter a jackknife. But he either like doesn't try for it or he hits it. Michael Buffer also called him like the king of the jackknife or something in his introduction. Have you seen him on a diving board? It's fucking great. <laughs> yeah, so Nash hits the jackknife and has the pin, but Randy Savage then comes in and just breaks it up. And they go, oh, all right, DQ, that's that. Yep, rings bell, the end. Savage hits Nash with, with a title belt, which prompts Eric Bischoff to come out again. Eric Bischoff has not taken any shit tonight. He ejects Randy Savage, who I guess is a heel going forward now? I don't fucking know, man. And then he's like, all right, restart the match. He, he goes over to the ref and it's like, I don't care if Ted Turner or any of these other executives that I don't fucking bother remembering the name of. But they were like actual executives. They yeah. weren't just like. I don't know if anybody, I don't care if anybody has an issue with it. Restart this match. Like, yes, I'm sure they'll care that you gave people a satisfying ending to your pay-per-view. The match restarts and it, it was vague if it was no DQ or not, but I guess it was. They don't do much anything for a little while. They trade sleepers and then DDP goes for a chair. He swings it. But Nash ducks, so it hits the top rope and then bounces back into his face. <laughs> that was kind of funny. My favorite bit with the trading sleepers is like DDP puts a sleeper hold on Kevin Nash and commentary goes, oh, he's too much of a man to be put to sleep. I'm like, first of all, that's not how oxygen works. It doesn't really matter your masculinity. Second, what are you saying? Are you saying that men don't sleep? <laughs> I haven't slept in 10 years. That makes sense. Nash then grabs a chair, but DDP hits a low blow. DDP then grabs a chair, and Nash hits a big boot into the chair in the DDP's face, and then he pulls him out. Get them titties out, Kevin Nash. It is. Jackknife pin, new champion. Woo. Thoughts on the match? I really have a hard time summarizing my thoughts on these matches. Yeah, the, these were all like one and a half to like two star matches, it felt yeah. like. Yeah. Just like, it's... It, it was a match. It sure did match. They did do the match. That's all I got, though. You could tell there weren't a lot of moves that DDP could do to Kevin Nash because of his size. Mm -hmm. Because the majority of this match was just strikes. Yeah. Thoughts on Kevin Nash being our world champion now? Not fucking shocked. I'm not thrilled. I don't like it because that means I have to see him more. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. Fun. Yay. Hopefully he doesn't hold it for too long. He will. He's Kevin Nash. Yeah. Wow, we really sound so excited about this show. You know what's funny? I, I felt more alive about this one when we were watching it than I did Slamboree. And I think we got this to the is same Slamboree, point. Then Super Brawl. <laughs> <laughs> it's Slamboree, Super Brawl. Get a new fucking naming structure. <laughs> Why don't you give him a call and tell him what you think? Oh, man. Do you just want to go right into Best Bits and MVP? No, no. Let's actually chat about the pay per view a little bit. Okay. It sucked. All right, best bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, it definitely sucked, but you're right. It did not make me want to die as much as Super Brawl did. We were both, like, ready to be done with all of this after Super Brawl. But it was just, it was boring. It was really mundane. It was really, like, vanilla. It was, it didn't feel like a pay-per-view. Yeah, I think Eric Bischoff coming out and writing some wrongs actually helped with morale. Yes. Like, okay, maybe we'll get a little less bullshit going forward. Exactly. That, or at least yeah. different kinds of bullshit. I'm hopeful. I, I never thought I'd be excited to see Eric Bischoff again, but I'm excited to see him. Yeah, I don't think there's much more we can say about the actual pay-per-view itself that we haven't said already. Yeah. Don't watch this one. I mean, maybe watch the opener? The tag match, yes. I think I would recommend that match. Is it your best bit? 
It is. I was kind of hopeful that I'd find something else as we were chatting about it. But yeah, I yeah, no, that was by that. far the best bit. Like, that's a fun one. I mean, the ref, as mentioned, kind of ruins it. But there's not a bad worker in that match. No, they all know how to put on a good show. Yeah, when you're in a six-man match and Raven might be the worst worker in there, like you're you're good. Yeah, I'm curious who your MVP is. You got to go first. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm not happy about it, and I'm not proud of it. Eric Bischoff is my MVP. I had a feeling you were going to say that based on some of this, but... As much as it hurts me to say it. Now, you have to tell me now yours. Like, who who did you choose out of all of this? Who's your MVP? All right. What I'm... I decided to base mine on who did the most based on their skill and ability. <sighs> and I gave mine to Charles Robinson. Why? For doing a good Ric Flair impression, because... Unfortunately, you know who it probably was, but we said we're not going to give it to him, was probably Chris Benoit. No, see, I don't think I would give it to him solely. I would not give it to Chris Benoit. I, I understand the Chris Benoit. Yeah, Rob- there Charles was nobody Robinson. who super stood out during that. It, it's one of those no, where everybody worked okay. together. Yeah, I think that's okay that there was not one standout in that six-man tag match. Like, that's good. But I understand why you gave it to Charles Robinson. I don't agree, but I get it. Listen, I've seen the WWF do fake Razor and fake Diesel. I think this was, this was a better fake flair. Fair. That's fair. He, he was a really good Ric Flair. Like, yeah. he did do a very good impression. The third time I brought it up, him him just doing some of the flair spots made me laugh. And you know what? I needed that at that point. Fair. I needed some joy when thinking about Ric Flair. Yeah. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Butts and Seats podcast. Next up, ECW, <laughs> Hardcore <laughs> Heaven, 1999. Fun, that'll be exciting. They're losing all of their talent. After that, we're back to regular scheduled programming, minus the fact that there is no May 10th, 1999 Nitro. <laughs> so we'll be going to the May 17th, 1999 Nitro. After that, we're going to move on to the Nitro after that. We'll have a little chat about Owen Hart on that Nitro. I don't feel the need to do any sort of special episode, seeing as how. No, I don't think so. Yeah, he is not a character on our podcast. We saw him at WrestleMania 15. We might do a little Owen Hart match to kind of open it, just to kind of chat and cleanse the palate a little bit. But other than that, that's it for this episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Butts in the Pod, on Instagram at Butts in the Pod, and on Facebook, search Butts in the Seats Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on, it's a couple now, it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Stitcher. That might be it. <laughs> so all the pot. Basically, wherever you listen to podcasts, Just I'm sure not we're there. SoundCloud, because I can't figure out how to uh, <laughs> get an easily uploadable stream there and not just have, have to upload each file one at a time on their service yeah. as well. Emily, any closing thoughts? I mean, yeah, this was, this was a podcast. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it was better. Like I said, this was better than I expected it to be. And I will give it that. Surely it can't get worse from here. But until next time, I'm Nick. I'm Emily. Thanks for listening to the Butts and Seats Podcast. Woo.